Okay, we talked about last time how God came to Solomon and said, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And remember God's reply, I will give you more wisdom and understanding than anyone has ever had before or will ever have again. Maybe it raises a few um, interesting questions. Did Solomon at that exact second have an implant of all of this knowledge, all of the things that he would write, all of the Proverbs were just in the hard wiring of his brain at that second? Or did God um, um, somehow stimulate his thinking and his life in a way that he would be uh, curious and inquisitive and would be close to God and would learn these things? Um, well, we'll consider that a little bit more. I'd like to put with this uh, James 1.5, which is a promise to us. If any of you lack wisdom, you should pray to God, like Solomon, who will give it to you, because God gives generously and graciously to all. So I want to understand what is wisdom really? What does it mean? And apparently God is uh, more than willing to pour this out on each one of us. Uh, what would that mean to have more wisdom? And um, as I've read through this, I think that the, the Proverbs give us these distilled, condensed uh, little nuggets of wisdom in words. And we see that a little bit lived out in the life of Solomon. Um, I think the life of Jesus is really wisdom personified. That's what wisdom looks like uh, with skin on. So we're going to kind of contrast back and forth here between the Proverbs and the life of Jesus. Of course, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and all the people. We'll come back to more quotes on this. And I just like to consider here that Jesus, it seems to me, really showed us uh, the way to live uh, as a human. I think Jesus laid down what we call his divine uh, prerogatives, the uh, three omnis. Was he omnipotent? Remember, Jesus said, I could do nothing without the Father. Uh, was he omniscient? Uh, well, uh, people asked him about the second coming. Well, only the Father knows. Uh, was he omnipresent? Well, people gave him news about things like the death of John the Baptist and the death of his friend Lazarus. And this seemed to make him sad. He had to go off and pray. It wasn't that he seemed to be everywhere all at once. And so I think uh, Jesus was God in human form, but these uh, attributes here of the, the Godhead uh, would seem he laid those aside and he revealed to us the way to live completely dependent on the Father for everything. So I think um, we kind of underestimate sometimes um, what can happen when we really are connected in a trusting relationship with God? Okay, we should be reflecting some of the life of Jesus, some of the things that he did. Now in Hebrews, Jesus was God's son, but by suffering he learned what it means to obey. In that way he was made perfect. And I think we've talked about this verse uh, before, how it can kind of suggest, you mean he wasn't always perfect, he was imperfect, he was made perfect. And the analogy I like here is uh, like an apple, of course, it starts out as an apple blossom. Uh, is it perfect? Yes. Is it perfectly mature? No. Okay, so Jesus as a child, he, he grew into this uh, wisdom. He was always perfect at every stage, but you know, he, he blossomed during the uh, three and a half years of his ministry and perfectly revealed God's character. So he was always perfect, but he was uh, fully mature. Um, here as he went from a baby to childhood and finally uh, to an adult. Um, I, I tend to think that 
what Solomon received from God, this wisdom, was something that um, God showed him the way to live, gave him a curious mind. And God was with him that is, in his life experience, I think he grew into this wisdom uh, much the same way that Jesus did. Unfortunately, we don't have really that many stories about Solomon. We have a few that, of course, you're familiar with. Remember the, the two women that both claimed to have the same baby and Solomon's solution, well, cut the baby in half. And of course, that revealed who the real mother was. So that's an interesting story. Uh, and just some, some quotes from the life of Solomon before we get to the Proverbs. That during this time, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. They ate and drank and were happy. Uh, we should make a lot out of this time because I think up to this point, um, since we've been doing this Bible study here for over a year now, uh, hasn't it been just a little bit discouraging that the people never get it right? They're always grumbling. They're always complaining. Things are never going well. They're never trusting God. Uh, this seemed to be a, a high point here in the Old Testament, that things for a brief time are going uh, well, it would seem. King Hiram of Tyre said, Praise the Lord today for giving David such a wise son to succeed him as king of that great nation. I had the respect of the other nations. And during uh, Solomon's prayer, when he dedicated the temple, I, I like some of the words here. He said, when a foreigner who lives in a distant land hears of your fame and of the great things you have done for your people and comes to worship you and pray at this temple, listen to his prayer. In heaven where you live, hear him and do what he asks you to do so that all the peoples of the world may know you and obey you as your people Israel do. Uh, the mission for Israel was always to evangelize the world. Okay, and but they were just... I would say miserably failed for the most part. But here we have a time um, where really the wisdom from Solomon and in the nation Israel uh, was a bright light in the world. Foreigners were to come so that they could also uh, know God. And in the concluding of his prayer here in 1 Kings 8, and so all the nations of the world will know that the Lord alone is God, there is no other. And it's just too bad that everything fall ap fell apart because had this continued, it uh, would have been just wonderful to see what might have happened with the world. And we have to notice some red flag things along the way here after the dedication of the temple, which took seven years to build. Uh, he spent 13 years building his own palace. Maybe didn't quite have the priorities right there. Uh, doubled the time to build his own palace uh, compared to building the temple. So, people admired Solomon, the Queen of Sheba, of course, heard of Solomon's fame. She traveled to Jerusalem to test him with difficult questions. When she and Solomon met, she asked him all the questions that she could think of. He answered them all. There was nothing too difficult for him to explain. The Queen of Sheba heard Solomon's wisdom and saw the palace he had built. She saw the food that was served at his table, the living quarters for his officials, the organization of his palace staff, and the uniforms they wore, the servants who waited on him at feasts, and the sacrifices he offered in the temple. It left her breathless and amazed. She said to King Solomon, What I heard in my own country about you and your wisdom is true, but I couldn't believe it until I had come and seen it all for myself. But I didn't even hear the half of it. Your wisdom and wealth are much greater than what I was told. How fortunate are, are your wives, all thousand of them. And how fortunate your servants, who are always in your presence and are privileged to hear your wise sayings. Praise the Lord, your God. He has shown how pleased he is with you by making you king of Israel, because his love for Israel is eternal. Notice this is someone from the outside here talking about God. His love for Israel is eternal. He has made you their king so that you can maintain law and justice. So 
again, uh, this light seemed to be uh, going throughout the world. So God gave Solomon unusual wisdom and insight and knowledge too great to be measured. Solomon was, was wiser than the wise men of the East or Egypt. He was the wisest of all men. His fame spread throughout the neighboring countries. He composed 3,000 proverbs. This is what we're going to talk about here in this Bible study. And more than 1,000 songs. He spoke of trees, plants, and, and we read this last time. So um, Solomon was stimulated to do some great things uh, because of the uh, special connection that he had with God. Okay, but again, coming back to the mission, this is what God really wanted to achieve through his people. Uh, he wanted to uh, evangelize the world. Okay, that was the mission of Israel. If we go back to Deuteronomy, Okay, um, Moses would say, keep them, practice them, you'll become wise and understanding, and when people hear and see what's going on, they'll say, what a great nation, so wise, so understanding, we've never seen anything like it. Yes, what other great nation has gods that are intimate with them, the way God, our God, is with us, always ready to listen to us. Um, you know, maybe we read over these things, um, hear about a God that wants to be intimate, but that's, that's so different than any other god in that time. Remember, all the gods were appeased. A god that's intimate with his people, that's um, unheard of uh, during this time. Okay, and I would say, again, God's attempt to win the world, and I think his mission for us is the same. If I could just read one verse on this, where Jesus said, you are like salt for the whole human race. Salt is a preservative. So this is to preserve truth, a true knowledge of God. You are like light for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, it's put on the lampstand where it gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine before people so that they'll see the good things you do. Okay, and notice what happens if they see the good things you do. Uh, the praise ends up going to your Father in heaven. All right, so ultimately things are deflected and uh, God looks good when we uh, reveal what he's really like. Okay, so let's, let's turn our attention here to the Proverbs. What are Proverbs? Lots of definitions, but here are some that I think are helpful. Uh, distilled wisdom, or just condensed wisdom. I mean, incredible things in just a few compact words. Great truths expressed with sharp brevity in such a way as to hold attention. And um, sometimes the, the Proverbs don't explain themselves. So we just get this shocking statement, and we have to think about it, try to understand it. So these are illustrations which, which expose fundamental realities of life, and they reflect compressed experience. So it's like a book of um, uh, just punchlines. You know, it's something like at the end of a joke that you just get the um, something at the very end. You have to try to understand it. Now there's some difference here. We have English or American proverbs, and I just want to notice here the difference. Um, uh, structurally between two types of Proverbs. So familiar with all of these. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Actions speak louder than words. Don't judge a book by its cover. Necessity is the mother of invention. Okay, so these are all fine, but just notice how, how the, the difference here uh, between English here and Hebrew Proverbs. If some of you were here when we talked about Hebrew parallelism, that Hebrew poetry is not based on rhyme but on repetition. Okay, so what we see here in the Proverbs is two lines, not one. Okay, so here's a good example, Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. Now we have a second line with it, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
So the second line is supposed to add meaning or provide contrast with the first line. So we're always contrasting these, and I don't want to spend a long time on this, but people have gone to a lot of work to categorize the different proverbs, what type they are. Some are synonymous, which means the second line just merely repeats the first line, but with the same different words. So for example, pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. So it's kind of a, a repetition, but the repetition maybe emphasizes the point. Okay, we have antithetical proverbs where the second line is to provide a, a contrast, black and white. So being cheerful keeps you healthy. <clears throat> it is slow death to be gloomy all the time. <clears throat> and, um, you know, right here at Loma Linda, they've done studies on people that watch uh, comedies and that laugh and uh, that, you know, suggest that that really is a healthy thing. Hey, we have other proverbs that are known as uh, synthetic, where the second line uh, amplifies the meaning in the first line. Here's one I like in Proverbs 10. Anyone who hides hatred is a liar. Anyone who spreads gossip is a fool. Now, you might not intuitively relate those two, um, but does hiding hatred, is that something that we might associate with spreading gossip? And I think we could make a connection there, that uh, internal hatred often leads us to, uh, it comes out in awkward ways, and perhaps one of those ways may be uh, spreading lies or gossip about others. So that would be an example of that. And then finally, some are comparative, often with something in nature. Okay, so uh, Proverbs 25.12 would be an example here. So the first line is a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry made of the finest gold. So we have those types of, of proverbs, okay? Like the whole Bible, we have to take the proverbs in context. We tend to read the Bible sometimes as uh, mainly a book that gives us doctrines, and we want to take each verse and make a, a doctrine out of that. Um, well, we have to be careful with that. We need to take the proverbs when they were written. For example, uh, would you recommend this when you start on words here in the third year? Um, about alcohol. Well, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, or else they will drink and forget what has been decreed. Okay, that makes sense. And it will pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Okay? And uh, Jesus, remember on the cross, he was offered a strong drink uh, as an anesthetic, but he didn't take it because, you know, at that crucial moment, um, he didn't want anything to cloud his mind. Okay, but now our problem is, do we make a doctrine here out of the last half of this? Give strong drink to one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Okay, you, you probably wouldn't be looked on favorably if you recommended that for um, those who are suffering. So how do, we, um, how do we interpret this? Is this inspired? Well, I think uh, we could say that perhaps in a time you know, when there was no aspirin, no Tylenol, no pain medications. Um, maybe there was a time for this. I, the message translation of this verse is, use wine and beer only as sedatives to kill the pain and dull the ache of the terminally ill for whom life is a living death. Okay, so um, maybe we need to interpret that in, in the context of when it was written. Here are some others we need to interpret in the context about women. A nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip. Um, you know, what do you expect if you marry a thousand of them? You know, you might have that attitude. And he seemed to kind of perseverate on this thought, because this is here several times in the Proverbs. 
A nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip on a raining day. How can you keep her quiet? Have you ever tried to stop the wind or ever <laughs> tried to hold a handful of oil? Okay, so I, I think uh, this reflects his uh, experience. And again, we need to uh, read that in context. <clears throat> uh, we'll actually come back to this when we talk about Ecclesiastes next week. Okay, and I have to bring this one up here before we really get into the Proverbs, just because it fits maybe for students. There are, uh, at this time, apocryphal Proverbs, and one of them is, is rather humorous here. The man who lectures to a fool lectures to one who is dozing, and at the conclusion, he will say, what was it? So anyway, that's from uh, Sirach. It's a good speed uh, translation. Okay, so Proverbs opens this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. And Solomon clearly did not write all of the Proverbs, <clears throat> but uh, probably the majority of them. <clears throat> and what's the purpose? For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Okay, so uh, this is the purpose. And the, the early part of the book just harps on wisdom. Get wisdom. Okay, what is wisdom? This is how you get wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Okay, what does that mean, the fear of the Lord? And if you just, we're going to pull up 20 or 30 different uh, English translations of this. Uh, someone read this way. To have knowledge, you must first have reverence for the Lord. Stupid people have no respect for wisdom and refuse to learn. Okay, so which is it? Uh, is it the fear of the Lord or is this more uh, reverence? And the Hebrew word here can mean either reverence or terror. It's really the context that determines to us whether this is uh, terror or reverence. Um, and I think really we could uh, incorporate both of this to some extent. Remember when he talked about Mount Sinai, how the people were just grumbling and complaining, rebellious. And so God came in uh, you know, all of his glory. The mountain shook, the people were terrified. And God even said to Moses at that time that uh, this is so that they will respect you from now on. So maybe there's a time for a little bit of fear. Uh, I know I've used this illustration in the past, but if, you know, if, if medical students were using drugs in the back row, and if there are murders being committed um, you know, outside, well, we'd have some different rules. Teachers would have to be strict, might seem even somewhat arbitrary. Okay, there might need to be a little bit of a fear message from Dr. Werner. Maybe he does this to you already. But um, anyway, so, so maybe there's a time for that. But also, if, uh, if you don't have respect or reverence, for the teacher, if you were under the assumption, you know, this, uh, this teacher is a quack and I don't think he really knows what he's talking about, um, well, you're probably not going to take much away from the lecture either. So reverence is obviously important. I think we need to see, though, that fear of God or reverence, this is an initial uh, first step, maybe, to get us going in the right direction. Okay, but clearly the ideal here in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. So then love has not been made perfect in anyone who is afraid, because fear has to do with punishment. Okay, so um, we're, we're meant to mature in this process. Okay, what can we say about wisdom? Well, first of all, in, in this um, way of describing it here, as two parents uh, giving advice, 
Um, my child, pay attention to what your father and mother tell you about wisdom. Their teaching will improve your character as a handsome turban or a necklace improves your appearance. So we are meant to personify these uh, proverbs. They are meant to, uh, to be lived out in our life. Okay, Proverbs 2. My child, learn what I teach you and never forget what I tell you to do. Listen to what is wise and try to understand it. <clears throat> yes, beg for knowledge, plead for insight. Look for it as hard as you would for silver or some hidden treasure. If you do, you will know what it means to fear the Lord, there it is again, and you will succeed in learning about God. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. For him come knowledge and understanding. If you listen to me, you will know what is right, just, and fair. You will know what you should do. You will become wise, and your knowledge will give you pleasure. Um, again and again in Proverbs, the association between wisdom and learning about God is there. And I think that's, uh, that's significant. Here's another one in Proverbs 9.10. To be wise, you must first have reverence for the Lord. Okay, that's the first part. And the, the parallel passage here, if you know the Holy One, you have understanding. Uh, what does it mean to know the Holy One? Okay, I think this is, this is kind of the core nugget here about wisdom. It is very much involved with the knowledge of God, which I know is a theme we've talked about many times in the Bible study. And uh, a proverb here not written by Solomon, but it's kind of the opposite of this. These are the words of Agur, if that's pronounced correctly. And notice, he would describe it this way, God is not with me. God is not with me and I am helpless. I am more like an animal than a human being. I do not have the sense we humans should have. I've never learned any wisdom. And notice, I know nothing at all about God. Okay, so uh, a knowledge of God goes in parallel with wisdom. In fact, we could say the, the more knowledge, and I don't mean facts, of course, okay, but intimate, personal, relational, true knowledge of his character, those kinds of things, that kind of knowledge uh, goes in parallel with real wisdom. <clears throat> okay, so we'll jump ahead here to Jeremiah, hopefully to, to make this point a little stronger. The Lord says the wise should not boast of their wisdom, nor the strong of their strength, nor the rich of their wealth. If any want to boast, I think here we're, we're talking about true wisdom. If any want to boast, they should boast that they know and understand me. We sometimes talk about God as being unknowable. But yet God is again and again and again saying, I want to be known. Eternal life is to know God. They should boast that they know and understand me because my love is constant and I do what is just and right. Notice when we know God, what do we understand? What God does is just and right. His love is constant. These are the things that please me. Okay, so um, this eternal life is to know God. That's, that's really getting into uh, talking about wisdom. So before we read some specific examples, um, what I'm suggesting here is that when wisdom comes from an intimate, personal, relational knowledge of God. It's based on a knowledge of what he's like in character. Jesus came to make God known. Okay? And to know God in this way is to be changed. By beholding, we become changed. And we perhaps begin to live out uh, wisdom in our own life. And the Proverbs reveal the words, thoughts, and actions of this wisdom. And we see this somewhat in the life of Solomon. Okay, but I think if we really want to see what does wisdom look like, um, Jesus is wisdom personified. He's love personified. Okay, but I think as I read through the Proverbs this week, all of these wonderful Proverbs, and I think about the life of Jesus, um, he fully uh, exemplified those. Okay, so coming back to Jesus, he grew in wisdom. 
and he taught in the synagogue. And those who heard him were amazed. Where did he get such wisdom? Okay, so I think it's helpful to read the Proverbs and to think about the life of Jesus as we, as we do it. Here in Colossians, Paul would say, they will know God's secret, which is Christ himself. He is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. And again, if the mission of Jesus, you know, I have come to make you known, eternal life is to know God. If his mission was to reveal God, uh, this is the secret, really, the, the wisdom. It's the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. It is the person of God as revealed by Jesus. Okay, I think just one more on this in 1 Corinthians. I love this passage. But God who brought you into union with Christ Jesus and God has made Christ to be our wisdom. As the scripture says, who knows the mind of the Lord? Who is able to give him advice? And what do you think this means? We, however, have the mind of Christ. Um, I think this is to experience uh, somewhat what Solomon experienced. It is to grow into, it is by beholding we become changed. It is to reflect um, Christ in our thoughts, our words, our actions. <clears throat> oh, one more here in James. Again, talking about wisdom. Are there any of you who are wise and understanding? You're to prove it by your good life, <clears throat> by your good deeds performed with humility and wisdom. You know, we tend to uh, downplay this a little bit because whenever we talk about actions, uh, it can easily sound like we're working our way to heaven, okay? But uh, the Bible has so much to say about how we live in this life. And when we emphasize just Christianity, it's about getting to heaven, keeping the right list of doctrines, and we have such an emphasis on how we treat people and uh, the way we interact with people in the Bible. Okay, but if in your heart you're jealous, bitter, selfish, don't sin against the truth by boasting of your wisdom. <clears throat> Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It belongs to the world. It is unspiritual, demonic. <clears throat> Where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is also disorder and every kind of evil. But notice, the wisdom from above. And I think it's helpful as we look at the Proverbs. What does the wisdom above look like? It's pure, first of all. It's peaceful, gentle, friendly, it's full of compassion, produces a harvest of good deeds, it's free from prejudice and hypocrisy, and goodness is the harvest that is produced from the seeds that peacemakers plant in peace. And all of these things um, in this last part of the passage here we find again and again in the Proverbs. Okay, so let's, let's just read some of these. Um, you can only just scratch the surface here. Uh, but here are some of my uh, favorite Proverbs, and, and I think we'll see how uh, this is echoed in the life of Jesus. <clears throat> people with a hot temper do foolish things. Wiser people remain calm. Okay, and in Proverbs 12, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Smart people will ignore an insult. And so many things in Jesus here we could uh, talk about to illustrate this, but uh, one I read just recently that just kind of surprised me here, the, Jesus is in the presence of these people, and they're having this discussion, and they say, well, the Messiah will not come from Galilee. The scripture says that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David. He'll be born in Bethlehem, the town where David lived. And so there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Now, was Jesus a descendant of King David? Uh, was he born in Bethlehem? Well, I mean, Jesus could have said, hey, this is not true. Let me set the record straight and been defensive about it. And it's just was kind of just surprising here that Jesus uh, just kind of kept quiet as these people 
were kind of, uh, you know, um, rebuking him or feeling like he couldn't be the Messiah. I, I would very much want to jump in and set the record straight, maybe in a defensive way. Okay, but Jesus, again, obviously not a hot temper, remained calm, was not annoyed when people again and again and again uh, put him down, never appeared annoyed uh, or irritated, although he had some hard words for the Pharisees. How about this one? <clears throat> if you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. It is a sin to despise anyone. How about that? It is a sin to despise anyone. If you oppress poor people, you insult the God who made them. But kindness shown to the poor is an act of worship. And, you know, in Jesus' day, if you were poor, that was evidence in their minds that you were cursed by God. If you were a leper, it's proof you're cursed by God. Um, so their, their mindset, I don't know, they hadn't read some of these things or hadn't read the book of Job. But um, Jesus, uh, some have said Jesus was crucified because of who he ate with. He ate with the poor. He ate with the outcasts of society. And um, I think, again, very much reflecting. He didn't despise anyone. Here's a colorful translation here by the Message Bible in Matthew 9. But that when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, and the company he was keeping in this occasion were prostitutes, tax collectors, fishermen, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Okay, well, we have um, here evidence from Proverbs that, um, you know what? We're going to treat these people with love and respect, and we might just follow Jesus' example and, uh, under the right circumstances, hang out with them and uh, maybe uh, reveal something about God by eating with a certain class of people that that might uh, give us a bad reputation, like it did Jesus on this occasion. Proverbs 16, it is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. And again, just thinking about Jesus, everyone was urging Jesus to push on the power side. Every time he did a miracle, they wanted to make him king. Um, use your power, you know, let us uh, defeat the Romans. And even when he did a miracle, remember how many times he said, now keep quiet about it, don't tell anyone. Uh, seemed to uh, almost want to downplay uh, the incredible things he was doing. Now, you might be surprised to find this one in the Old Testament. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them a drink. Okay, not all of the Old Testament is, is dealing with uh, violent, difficult things. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Well, Paul would quote this. Okay, does that sound consistent with Jesus? Hey, how about this? Proverbs 27, let other people praise you. Even strangers, never do it yourself. Um, when I was a resident, um, and I think I can probably tell this because it was long, long enough ago, but uh, someone that I worked with wanted an award, and he kept going around telling people to nominate him for this award. It uh, doesn't make a very good appearance to be uh, encouraging other people to put your name forward. Uh, let other people praise you. Never do it yourself. And kind of along with that, it is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. Boy, is there an important lesson in life. Dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. Because really, then your whole life is just up and down based on the opinion at the moment. But if you trust the Lord, you are safe. A fool does not care whether he understands a thing or all, at all. All he wants is to show how smart he is. Maybe wrong, but as long as people are impressed, 
then that's all a fool cares about. So, so these three, we could, we could say so much about the life of Jesus, but just a, a few examples. While Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in him as they saw the miracles he performed. But Jesus, he was not flattered by this. He did not trust himself to them because he knew them all. There was no need for anyone to tell him about, about them because he himself knew what was in their hearts. So again, we would so easily be uh, flattered and love the praise. Okay, Jesus didn't seem to get anything out of that at all. And Jesus would tell people, don't do things for praise. When you give something to a needy person, don't make a big show of it, as the hypocrites do in the houses of worship and on the streets. They do it so that people will praise them. I assure you, they've already been paid in full. But when you help a needy person, do it in such a way that even your closest friend will not know about it. Okay, that's exactly what we read there in the, in the last proverb. Okay, and because of this, I mean, Jesus was impervious here to the temptations because he was not susceptible to flattery. Okay, when people came and wanted to catch him, they said, and, and how would this feel if someone said this to you? Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, they're flattering Jesus. Okay, so that now, if, if he's susceptible to that, they can catch him. So, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He wasn't flattered. He wasn't seeking praise. And he said, why are you trying to trap me? In fact, maybe it was their opening sentence here that right away led Jesus to realize that they're coming to trap him. Someone comes to flatter you, um, maybe better be careful. Okay, back to Proverbs. Proverbs 12. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. And I would just like to say that even the, the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, um, you know, like, um, that, that were very, very harsh at times, can appear that way. But remember, in this context, even Jesus' disciples seemed very concerned about what the Pharisees thought. Okay, and so Jesus almost seems like he had to make a shocking statement at time to make people realize uh, this is absolutely false. I think Jesus' words were always to heal. Okay, they were always to open eyes. They were not to hurt or to wound. So in summary here, the Proverbs is a book about the right way to live, think, and act. And if I could just conclude with the words of Eugene Peterson and his uh, introduction to the Proverbs in the Message Bible, I think he summarizes it very, very well. He said this, Many people think that what's written in the Bible has mostly to do with getting people into heaven, getting right with God, saving their eternal souls. Well, it does have to do with that, of course, but not mostly. It is equally concerned with living on this earth, living well, living in robust sanity, in our scriptures, heaven is not the primary concern, to which earth is a tag-along afterthought. On earth as it is in heaven is Jesus' prayer. Wisdom is the biblical term for this, on earth as it is in heaven, everyday living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. It has virtually nothing to do with information as such, with knowledge as such. A college degree, a medical degree, is no certification of, certification of wisdom, nor is it primarily concerned with keeping us out of moral mud puddles, although it does have a profound moral effect upon us. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents, raising our children, handling our money, 
conducting our sexual lives, going to work, exercising leadership, using words well, treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes towards others that make for peace. Threaded through all these items is the insistence that the way we think of and respond to God is the most practical thing we do. In matters of everyday practicality, nothing, absolutely nothing, takes precedence over God. Proverbs concentrates on these concerns more than any other book in the Bible. Attention to the here and now is everywhere present in the stories and legislation, the prayers and the sermons that are spread over the thousands of pages of the Bible. Proverbs distills it all into riveting images and aphorisms like pithy statements that keep us connected in holy obedience to the ordinary. Father, thank you for a book that includes um, perhaps a direction for us uh, in terms of how to live, how to treat people, how to think, and pray that uh, just as we consider all of these things, that again, your life on earth would become central, that as we consider what you're like, what is wisdom, what is love, that our picture would continually come back to Jesus. Amen. <laughs>